Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, Week 12 Recap Edition. Uh, we are going to be talking about a lot of football this week. Unfortunately, the Steelers and Ravens game is not one of the games that we'll be talking about because as of the time of this recording, even though we're on a Tuesday night, it still hasn't been played. We're assuming it's going to be played tomorrow, tomorrow being Wednesday, but that's still not 100% confirmed. Uh, but yeah, we're going to see how this goes. We still have a lot of other games to talk about, a uh, whole bunch of week 12 things that we got to roll through. Before we do that though, EJ, buddy, how you doing and what are you drinking tonight? I'm good. I'm hanging in there. We're getting a late start on a Tuesday night, but we're good for it. Uh, that means we'll go into the wee hours because I just, I'm going to guess offhandedly that it won't be a short podcast. Uh, anyways, you guys love that and we love making them for you. I am fine. I have an English beer tonight, uh, from Moreland Brewing that was established in 1711. Yes, the year 1711. That's not their address. Uh, and it is the Old Speckled Hen Fine English Ale, which sounds like a very proper English name. It's actually named for the paint spattered MG runabout car they use at the factory, which I think is awesome. Uh, and it is a 15 ounce nitro can, uh, 440 milliliters if you're from the kingdom and, uh, I've had it before. I'm looking forward to it. And my shot of the week is an iced shot of Milagro silver tequila. Wow. Look at you. Well, I am joining you with tequila for shot of the week. I got, uh, Cazadoras, uh, with me tonight, not chilled. I always forget to chill the glass. That's on me. I know. Party foul. But that's on me. That's on me. <laughs> Rookie mistake. It's okay. We'll 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 coach you up. Uh my drink tonight, because I am dog tired. As many of you that watched the Eagles video on Carson Wentz I put out this week, I had gnarly bags under my eyes, so I am drinking coffee to keep myself awake. Uh to get through this whole podcast. Cause I in typical bootleg fashion, I don't think it's gonna be that short. So I got my caffeine, I got my alcohol, surely those things will mix well, and uh, yeah, ready for a great show. Uh, first thing we're going to talk about, we got a point after for the first time in a while, because I got a lot of comments saying, Brett, why didn't you talk about Packers Colts last week? Do you hate the Packers? Is it is it your love of the Bears, and EJ's love of the Bears is keeping you from talking about the Packers? No, we don't hate the Packers on bootleg football, maybe we resent the hell out of the Packers for beating the snot out of the Bears all the time, but no, we don't hate them. So on the point after, I do want to talk a little bit about Packers-Colts, and my main takeaway from that game 
is that when the Colts' defense is healthy, when they're at full strength, or at least relatively full strength, they are a very, very, very good defense. They forced four turnovers in that game. Indy had almost like 35 minutes of time of possession. They only really won because they were able to generate those turnovers, taking away as many possessions from Aaron Rodgers as they could, flipping field position, just keeping Rodgers off the field because obviously he can tear anybody up. Uh, there was a really good pick from Rocky Sin in cover two where Rodgers tried to hit that honey hole and uh, kind of left it a little bit short and Yassin was able to close ground and pick him off. That was a huge play in that game. You know, so big ups to the Colts defense. I, I know they just got railroaded by uh, Tennessee this past week, which we'll talk about a little bit. But when you look at all the names they were missing on defense, all the injuries for that team period, that wasn't a full strength Colts team. When the Colts are full strength, they are a really, really damn good football team. And uh, beating the Packers a couple weeks ago proved it. Yeah, absolutely. We don't hate the Packers. We're both Bears fans. Packers are, I don't want to say a loaded team, but they have some of the best players at their position in the NFL. You start with Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, if you've got a quarterback of that caliber, guy that's going to walk into the Hall of Fame, you have a chance every week. And yes, is it frustrating as a Bears fan to see that, especially following another Hall of Fame quarterback? Of course it is, especially when your team can't draft a quarterback uh, ever. Uh, yeah, it's super frustrating, but that doesn't make us hate the Packers as an organization or fail to appreciate players like Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones or uh, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith. Uh, I mean, Ken, uh, Kenny Clark is a personal favorite of mine and, and highly underrated player. So, no, we don't we don't hate Green Bay, but we don't talk about every game every week. I know it seems like we do because we make two and a half hour podcasts, but um, we usually skip one or two games a week. Uh, spoiler alert: we're not going to be talking about the Bears-Packers game this week because it was an absolute travesty. Um, uh, really, on either side, there was <laughs> no uh, no real opposition for the Packers, and and not a great showing for the Bears. So uh, definitely not a game we're going to spend a ton of time on. It's not because we hate the Packers; it's because really it wasn't that interesting. It was a blowout, and you know the Bears <laughs> the Bears played poorly enough that their coach called everybody out after the game. Coaches, players, um, scouts, everybody. So yeah, uh, no, we have appreciation for the Packers, but we will skip at least one game per week. Um, probably not going to talk a ton about the Seahawks Philadelphia game either, even though oh, it ended God. up close and had some decent plays, not a great game to watch. It was almost like watching a bears game again. Um, <laughs> Ross Tucker said, this is like, this is more bears than a bears game. And I was like, I, <laughs> I you can't can argue tell, with that. You can tell who didn't watch that Seahawks game, by the way, if they just mentioned that it was a close game by the box score because that was not a close yeah. game. Not that is the close ultimate game at all. That is the ultimate stat watching game. If you say that game was really close, because it was not. Uh, but anyways, we should get to something more interesting. Moving ourselves along to last week's bootleg shot of the week results. Uh, we'd skipped the week before with the rookie recap. We did not skip last week, and the winner this week is drum roll, please. Chase Young. Chase Young smashing Joe Burrow. Uh, Second overall pick meets the first overall pick right near the goal line. Forces a fumble. This is not the hit that injured Joe Burrow. Uh, We talked at length about that. Uh, It was a great play on the goal line. Chase Young absolutely seeing what was up, that Burrow was going to go for the edge, motivating himself over there as few defensive ends can, and smacking Joe Burrow, causing a fumble. Big play early in the game for the Washington Football Club. 
So shot of the week goes out to Chase Young. Um, you said you've got your Casadores. I've got my Milagro. Cheers to you, Mr. Young. That was a fantastic play. Salute. Oh, yeehaw. Mm. I'm going to follow that up with uh, a shot of this old speckled hen. Um, if you haven't had it, it comes in a nitro oh, can. Oh, God. Have, have you ever chased tequila with black coffee? Mm. Oh. Actually, I've done one worse. Oh, don't recommend that. Um, there is a drink, which you as a mixologist may be familiar with, called a Brave Bull. Oh, God, that's gross. No, Ooh. you're going to have to look it up. It is Why did I do uh, that? tequila and Kahlua, um, which is a you know coffee-ish liqueur. Uh, and it sounds terrible. And I made it um, one evening uh, at a friend of mine's in Ooh. Portland because he has a full bar in his basement. And I thought, well, I don't want to pay for this, but hey, I would try it. Um, and it's actually not bad. Uh, of course, depends on the tequila you make it I, with. I'm but, sure uh, that was fine, but... <laughs> You're sure that was fine, huh? It can't be worse than what I just did. Everybody I tell about that drink does not have that response. <sighs> They're like, that why does not I sound not... fine. Why did I not bring water? Yeah, you should have brought water. I'm but, an idiot. Um, I'm an idiot. That's nah, okay. We'll... we'll never forget. Uh, okay, anyway, something a little bit more satisfying than tequila and coffee. Uh, Panthers-Vikings <laughs> was a hell of a game. And I feel like every time we talk about the Vikings, you know, kind of featuring a game on the show, we really got to start with Justin Jefferson. This kid's special, man. I'm doing a film room on him this coming week. I don't know when I'm releasing it. I think on Monday uh, or next. Yeah, this coming Monday, I think is when I'm, I'm getting it out. Man, he is just something special. He's got everything. He He's very much in the mold of like a... A Devonte Adams, except maybe even a little bit more vertical speed, if you can believe it. But a phenomenal route runner, great hands, tough over the middle. That first touchdown he had, uh, I think it was in like the first quarter, somewhere around there. Just absolutely roasting whoever the hell 24 is on the Panthers. I, I can't even remember who that is, but it was 24, I remember. Uh, just kind of gave him a little nod and a rocker step outside and then darted inside on the end cut and just left him like four yards in the dust. It's He's just, he's gross. He's absolutely disgusting. Yeah, he's way too good for a rookie uh, is what I'll say about Justin Jefferson. He provides everything. He's got a very polished game. He came on very quickly. He heated up and he has not hit any kind of a rookie wall. If anything, he is maintaining that very high level that he established early on. And again, yeah, he's making catches all over the field. He's taken some short screens for big gains. He showed the vertical game down the sidelines, uh, showed some nice in-between the hash mark stuff this week. Um, Tough has taken some shots, great hands, catches the ball away from his body consistently. Just a very good smooth player good enough that you know the vikings traded away stefan diggs to the bills and somebody said this week i think they both won right josh allen gets yeah. stefan diggs he definitely needed a number one the vikings replace him with justin jefferson uh on a rookie salary and nobody misses a beat both teams get better that's a rare trade in the nfl where both teams benefit somewhat equally and to hold up sort of his end of that bargain, Jefferson's got to be amazing, and he is. I think the the one thing you could argue technically why the Vikings may have won it just because Jefferson's going to be cheaper 
than yep. Diggs, but I mean, for what for what the Bills needed this year, which was like, I need a sure thing. The AFC East is wide open because Tom Brady's gone. We got a good team. We can make a run here. Let's go get a proven guy. Damn to the salary cap. We still haven't even extended Allen yet, so we still got the money. Like, I, I understand why the Bills did it. I understand why the Vikings did it, because they're broke. They have no money. Kirk Cousin costs a fortune, and they can't get out of that contract. They needed a good receiver, but more importantly, they needed a good receiver that was cheap. So it makes sense for both teams. In a vacuum, yeah, you'd want the cheap guy, but kind of looking at the context around the deal of why each team had their motivations. Like you said, I, I don't think anybody lost. It was it was a rare trade where everybody won. Um, his, his second touchdown, it was on like a little uh, uh, one-step release, which like some coaches will call it a stretch release, where like you don't even try to like foot fire or anything like that. You just take one jab and then go inside, and then you ran a return route off of that. So it's like jab outside, go inside, sell it hard to the inside, give a nod, and then slam on the brakes and go back outside. And then Kirk threw it to him, and he just you know he got the touchdown with Yak. And you're looking at that, and it's like how how many 22 year olds have you ever seen in pro football come in and and immediately look like the best player on the field? Like that's Hall of Fame type shit. I'm not saying he's going to yeah, be a Hall of Famer, of but I mean, yeah, no, I mean, he needs the longevity, he needs the production, and and he obviously needs to stay in a system where they keep throwing it, and they have a quarterback that can do that. And look, Cousins, uh, for all his faults, when he gets hot, he can sling it. And uh, if Jefferson stays around a system like that, stays in a productive system, stays with a productive passing attack, and you know doesn't get hurt, he absolutely. It's a it's a staggering debut. I think we can just say that and and move on. The Panthers were moving early in this game, powered by the run. Uh, they had a couple of really gash runs, which is not something that Mike Zimmer's defense typically gives up. But um, that's how the Panthers made their early living. They were driving. Teddy got picked off by Eric Kendricks. He's had a couple of late in the last couple of weeks to kill the drive. Kendricks, a very good linebacker against the pass. Um, is starting to be in the right place at the right time. Interceptions are funny. We'll talk about a couple other players later on where they, they just kind of come in bunches. Um, sacks are the same way. Guy will be getting close, getting pressures, and all of a sudden he'll start to get home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Panthers got the ball back. Teddy comes out firing to DJ Moore and then hits Robbie Anderson on a crosser versus the Blitz, and it was straight man. And he goes all the way. He just keeps on running. 41 yards later, pay dirt. Robbie Anderson gets home for a touchdown. Um, and he's got wheels. I mean, like legit high 4-3, low 4-4 four, four speed. When, he, when, he's, when he's full yeah, when stride. Yeah, he opens up. Long levers, lanky, and uh, does not have a really short, uh, a long period stride like a lot of tall, lanky guys like that do. He he can put his steps down, and if he does, it's very hard to get him. And because nobody was right on him when when Teddy put that ball on him, that just kind of it was one of those you're like, he's not gonna. Oh, he is gonna. Oh no, he's gonna score for sure. <laughs> like you just sort of look around, like somebody's gonna come up from the second. No, no, he's behind everybody. Forget it. That's a score. It was like the um, the Pittman touchdown that he had against Green Bay last week, where it's like he catch a crosser and you just expect a DB to be coming down, and then nobody shows up, and you're like, okay, they're just gonna let him go. All right, all right, whatever. 
Yeah, crossers versus man are deadly. And I mean, Jerry Rice will tell you, right? Jerry Jerry Rice made a living on those routes in San Francisco, coming across the middle. And if he had a step and either Montana or Young put it on him, like all of a sudden it was just Yak City because he would just keep running. And that's the thing is versus man, just keep running. Versus zone, settle down, find your spot, right? And... Robbie was in stride, didn't have to stop, and and didn't stop until the end zone. Uh, Vikes counter with a field goal, close out the first half 10-7. Not a super exciting game in the first half scoring-wise. But then it gets really interesting. Zach Kerr forces a fumble while sacking Cousins. And Jeremy Chin, uh, rookie of note, gets the easy scoop and score. That's that's all well and good. Uh, Good play by Kerr, great play by Chin. Pick it up, get it in the end zone. Uh, you put some points on the team, put some points on the board for your team. That's great. They kick off and the next play <laughs> chin hits Dalvin cook, stands him up, grabs the ball, rips it away and runs into the end zone. And according to Gil Brandt, sort of unofficial NFL league historian, longtime Cowboys scout, Jeremy chin is the first player in NFL history. And whenever you say that, we're starting to stretch into a hundred years now. This is this is a lot of lot of games played, a lot of players on the field. The first player in NFL history to score defensive touchdowns on back to back plays. Ever. Uh, period. That he's the me. only name on the Yeah. He's the only name on the list. And when you think about the fact that we've been playing football for a century, that's staggering and again jeremy chin did it in his 11th game now he's been good all year this isn't a sort of flash in the pan he's been an agent of chaos for the panthers all over the field playing with impact um making a difference and uh you know look it's right place right time it's fortuitous you have to just get the right bounces he did on two plays in a row the fact that it's never happened in a century is stunning um, but Jeremy Chin starting to lay that foundation, right? This is Steve Atwater's nephew, Steve Atwater, a great player in his own right. Um, long time, big hitting safety for the Broncos. Uh, yeah, this is, this is something you're going to remember this and you probably aren't going to see it again. What I, uh, what I find interesting about how they're using Chin, you know, the first fumble recovery, he was playing Mike linebacker and was basically acting as a spy uh, for, I'm assuming he was green-dogging, but it seemed like he was playing Mike and just kind of keeping his eyes on the running back uh, in in coverage duty, and then all of a sudden there was a sack, he saw a ball, it's one of those see ball, get ball type things, just pure instinct. And then on the next play, he was playing strong safety and then got into the run fit from strong safety, and when Dalvin got held up, he just punched at the ball, it bounced right to him, he picked it up, and was like, oh, okay, see ball, get ball. Again, pure instinct taken over. Last week when he was nominated for shot of the week, it was at free safety. So, I mean, they're playing him all over the place, which for a rookie that wasn't super polished coming out of college, it, it kind of speaks to his instincts where they're like, we're just going to we're just gonna use him and put him in a whole bunch of different places uh, because he's one of those guys where you call it luck, you call it whatever you want. He's always around the ball, and you always think like, okay, well, there's there's no way that this is sustainable. And then you look up after seven or eight years, and he's holding franchise records and this kind of stuff, and you're like, okay, I, I guess it's sustainable. Like he just strikes me as one of those players where you can't explain it, but they're just always in position to make a play. 
Yeah, and we have to take the L on this one publicly a little bit. We liked Jeremy Chin. It's not that we didn't think Chin was a good player or that he was going to be successful or any of that. But when we were talking about best fits, we said wherever he goes, we hope they have a defined plan for him, right? That they that they pick a role and stick him there and let him, you know, catch up to the speed of the NFL because he's coming from, you know, a smaller brand of football in college. We really think that sort of stability is going to be necessary. Coaches took one look at him and said, mm, nope, <laughs> we're going to freelance him, right? We're going to put him here. We're going to put him there. We're going to give him a bunch of different assignments. We might give him limited assignments in each role, which is probably the case, right? They're probably lining him up in sort of package snaps. Um, but I don't know that. And certainly way more versatility than we were uh asking for or sort of projecting and that's on us like he jeremy chin has picked up everything uh you're talking about playing sort of at at three different levels of the defense he's done that he's played very close to the line almost in a slot force role he's played uh whatever you want to call it middle linebacker dimebacker uh you know robber and then he's played both free and strong so you're really talking about playing at all three levels of the defense as a rookie inside of 11 games and He's made plays in all those spots. He hasn't looked out of place. Uh, He hasn't certainly gone up on highlights for being burned. So big credit to Jeremy Chin. We knew he was a talent. Uh, He's more than that. He's kind of like Justin Jefferson is on offense, except on defense. He's, He's doing a lot of things well from a lot of spots all over the field. Speaking of doing things well, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I think has very nicely acquitted himself uh, as not just the, the Panthers quarterback for this year, but I think he, I think he's good enough. And I think he's clearly shown that he's quote unquote back enough uh, from his kind of crippling knee injury that he sustained with the Vikings. I think it took him a couple years, you know, bouncing around in a couple different teams as a backup, went to the jets, obviously spent, spent some time with the saints, but now that he's a full-time starter again, I, I honestly think he looks good enough that even if the Panthers are in position to draft one of these quarterbacks coming out. I kind of want to stick with Teddy. I I like what I'm seeing here. Oh, man. You're going to make me cry this early in the podcast. That's not fair, man. That is just (laughs) not fair. So Teddy was my top choice for the Bears uh, in this crazy wild free agent market that we had last year that was packed full of, like, Drew Brees could have come free. Tom Brady was free. Teddy was available. Um, you know, Cam was available. There's all this talent, Dalton, Foles, and all these guys, like easily the most loaded free agent quarterback class in a long time. And Teddy was the guy that I really thought could operate the Bears offense such that it is. Teddy's camp decided not to sign with Chicago. There have been uh, a bunch of reasons, theories floated about that, that they didn't think he was going to get a clean shot at the starting job. They thought that they were committed to Trubisky and giving him one more chance. And look, he made a great choice. He went to Carolina. That's awesome. I would have loved to see him in Chicago. And yes, he is playing well enough that if you don't want to pick a quarterback this year uh, with your fairly high pick and you want to do something else, you want to fill another primary need, you want to go after a, you know, a, a high tier tackle right? Or you want to pick uh, the top cornerback in the draft, right? And solidify the back end of your secondary with Chin. Like you can do those kind of things. Um, They're pretty good at edge rusher. They 
they got Derek Brown in the middle. Like there's a there's a lot of things that they already have in terms of pieces, but they can pretty much go wherever they want. And that kind of flexibility, Teddy's giving them that kind of flexibility, which is I can win with the pieces you put around me. I'm playing at a high enough level and creating some of my very own first downs with scrambles and, and making the right choices often enough that you can count on me to lead this team for another year or two and not have to drop a high pick on a quarterback, which really looked like the case sort of before the season. But I'm with you. He's settled in very nicely. He's operating at an extremely high level. And he's got Carolina clicking, uh, I think, a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball than we thought they might this year, even if they had had Christian McCaffrey for the balance of the campaign, which they largely haven't. Yeah, I just, people are going to look at like the touchdown to interception numbers and everything like that. He's only thrown 14 touchdowns, which seems like, you know, two weeks for Pat Mahomes. But just the efficiency, the keeping drives alive, um, the little bit of mobility that I, I didn't think we'd ever see again, but like he's had some really nice runs this year too. He, he did his best to Sean this week, right? Yeah. He had years to throw on this play. It was the it was in a series right after uh, Jeremy Chin scored. Vikes got the ball back, went back to the Panthers. He had years to throw. Everybody was covered. He took off, and he didn't just run three yards and slide. He did his best to Sean. He did a little pirouette, did a little sidestep, did a little slide at the end. Um, you know, look, it's Deshaun Light, to be perfectly honest, because nobody's like Watson in that category. He is truly a magician, but... Uh, yeah, Bridgewater's showing something with his legs, and I think you're right. It took a couple of years to get back to full strength, and he's definitely there now. Yeah, I just if I'm a Panthers fan, like I I I get they want to kind of see the franchise maybe find a young guy, a cheap guy, uh, but I I would I would give Teddy more time. I think he's definitely good enough, and I think Matt Rule's priority should be building the team around Teddy. Because if Teddy doesn't work, guess what? You still have a whole bunch of talented guys that are dirt cheap right now because they drafted a whole bunch of rookies that are hitting so far, you know, Gross Matos and obviously Chin. Robbie Anderson doesn't make that much money. Uh, you know, DJ Moore is still in a rookie deal. Curtis Samuel still in a rookie deal. Christian McCaffrey. Ryan Burns. Like Burns, obviously. <laughs> like, again, you got, you got a whole bunch of cheap talent. I think you can afford to kind of wait for a little while, but that's just me. Uh, moving on to the rest of this game, uh, kind of – Weird special teams mishaps. You had a, a, a blocked field goal. You had a, a, a muffed punt after the Vikings forced a punt, and then they muffed it, and then Carolina recovered. Uh, and, EJ, I did see you put foreshadowing alert here. Why don't you explain the foreshadowing that you think from that muffed punt? Yeah, so the Vikes are – this is a tight game. The Vikes force a punt, which they haven't been great at throughout this game. Again, we talked about Teddy's effectiveness and efficiency and the fact that they were scoring from deep. Vikes finally get a stop, right? They force a punt, and Chad Beebe muffs it. Carolina recovers deep down the field. And yes, I put foreshadowing alert because if, if there was a script writer in the NFL, this is the kind of thing that they would write. Like, ball bounces off Chad Beebe's chest. Carolina recovers. They're celebrating. This looks like the break they're going to need. They they take over deep in Vikings territory. They only get a field goal, but they lead by six. Now that's the perfect setup. Like if you're writing this <laughs> as a as a fiction writer, like this is what you're writing, right? One point away, touchdown will win it. Guy muffs the punt. Other team recovers. 
Vikes drive the field against soft cousin uh, against soft coverage, and Cousins hits who else but Chad Beebe for the TD. Right, he gets immediate <laughs> redemption, puts the Vikes ahead. Game's not over yet, but like that's the big story. Teddy has no timeouts, but he gets this huge completion to Curtis Samuel to make Vikings fans basically pee their pants around midfield. <laughs> about thirty-three seconds left. Panthers have a. 54 yarder to win it which is that's a reason we're not talking about a 65 yarder here right 54 yarder to win it they're inside viking stadium right and joey slide doesn't even give it a chance like he blows that ball wide left which is thoroughly disappointing for him look it's crushing for a kicker but great game came down to the last kick you know, again, Teddy puts him in position to win with they take over like 45 or 48 seconds. He gets this huge completion, almost a like 40 yard completion. It was completion. a great ball, too, because it, it yeah. was like Tampa 2 coverage. And then I, I think it was Kendricks kind of bit a little bit on the number three. And Tampa 2 is supposed to stop uh, the deep post in the middle of the field. But if you just if you get that Mike linebacker to bite a little bit, and Teddy saw he bit just a tiny little bit, uh, and then under pressure, like he was hit as he threw and dropped a dime to Samuel uh, at midfield in between both safeties, and Samuel did a good job to kind of hold on to it while getting just blown up by Harrison Smith. Uh, but again, it's I, I understand the stats aren't sexy, but Teddy's making throws like that in the end of every single game. Like when the Panthers lose, they don't lose by much; they lose. Like this, you know, where Teddy gets him in position, they have a missed field goal. Like there's there's tiny little mishaps throughout the game that add up. But the Panthers, they're a lot better than their record indicates. Yeah, they're really close. And if you add up that sort of average margin of uh, or average difference between win and a loss, like Panthers have got to be near the top of the league. Uh, certainly don't have the stat in front of me right now, but they they have lost a lot of close games. They've been in more games than they haven't, for sure. Um, they've not gotten blown out a lot. And again, a couple additions here and again, a little more familiarity, second year of a system. They're going to be tremendously dangerous. Add CMC back into the mix to make some of those explosive plays, and the Panthers are looking really good. Yeah, I mean, it, when you look at their losses this year, the the first time when they got blown out by the Bucks, actually they got blown out twice by the Bucks. But those are really their only uh, bad, like more than one possession losses the entire year. They only lost by four to the Raiders, uh, and then they lost seventeen thirty one to the Bucks in week two. So they started out zero and two, and everybody's like, oh, here we go. But they beat the Chargers, who are obviously a, a scrappy team themselves. They beat the Cardinals, who are a good team. Uh, they beat the Falcons. They only lost to the Bears by seven back when the Bears were semi-half decent. Functional. Functional. <laughs> you know, they lost to the Saints with Drew Brees by only three. They lost to the Falcons when they had Julio by only eight. Again, these one-possession losses. They lost to the Chiefs by only two. Then they got yeah, blown out by the Bucs they pushed the again. Chiefs. That was an impressive game for a young team. Yeah. Like, their losses, other than to the Bucks, for some weird reason, their losses are not bad. Like... This is a good team. I, I really can't wait to see what they're doing in a couple years because they got a lot of cheap talent, a lot of good talent, uh, and a quarterback that knows what he's doing. So I, I, a lot of people question the move to get rid of Cam. I know I certainly did, but they're not only making it work, they're they're making it really, really work. So again, big ups to the Vikings for, for beating a good team 
in the in the Panthers and, and big ups to the Panthers for hanging in there. That's that's been kind of the story of their season. They have a lot of moral victories this year. Yeah, and those are the kind of teams that that really set themselves up for the year after, right? Those yes. teams that yes. play tough. Um, are in games, hang in down the stretch, get a couple of surprising victories or or moral victories like the pushing KC late in the game. Um, you know, those are the teams that you look back the year after when they're sitting at like six and two and go, oh yeah, we we probably should have known that. Like they showed us and we just didn't listen. So keep an eye on the Panthers. Next game we're going to talk about 49ers Rams. This was. This was a staggering game. Um, 49ers are a rolling hospital ward at this point. Um, they just got some news this week that they're not going to be able to play in their home stadium. They're going to have to play their next couple games down in Arizona at the Cardinals stadium. Like the 49ers are just, they're in a really interesting spot. The probably biggest and brightest star George Kittle is, is out. Um, their quarterback is out. They're starting to back up. They've gone through running backs like they were chewing gum. Bose is out. Um, yeah, they just a lot of their firepower is gone, and the Rams have been playing really good football. We talked a lot about the Rams for for different reasons, but uh, this didn't look like if you were putting the line down, this definitely looked like a very winnable game for LA. Uh, but I swear that the refs like greased the ball with like chapstick before the game <laughs> because. <laughs> It was uh, on the ground and picked off seemingly every possession. Like it would be fumbled and recovered and then fumbled and recovered by the other team. It would be picked off and then somebody throw a pick six. Like I'm just counting it up because I highlighted all the turnovers I had in the notes in red. And it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The eighth one didn't count because Juszczyk fumbled it out of bounds, but he did fumble it. Like eight times the ball was either intercepted or fumbled in this game, and it it made for a wild game. The early fumble, very early fumble, like three minutes in, gives the Niners an extra possession. Right, the Rams fumble it right off, and I, I guess maybe we should have seen that coming that that was going to set the tone. Then Donald tips one at the line, and Jordan Fuller, Jordan Fuller, who we talked up last on last week's podcast, um, had a couple picks the previous week. Picks it off again. That's three picks in two weeks for him. So Jordan Fuller having a very nice rookie campaign out of OSU. Rams get a field goal. Uh, Raheem Mostert is back. So the 49ers got a little bit of talent back. Uh, Richard Sherman was back. Raheem Mostert was back. So they got some they got some reinforcements on both sides of the ball. Mostert looks like he's fully healed. Scoots to the edge for a little short TD on a sort of left sweep. Um, that sort of opens up the scoring. And then Goff comes right back, drops a bad floater to Richard Sherman right in between. What did you see on that play, or did you watch that play? Uh, I, you know, I, I did. I looked at the all twenty-two because I was like, okay, well, maybe the broadcast is lying to me because I was it like, what's he like, doing there? It looked like he just threw it to Richard Sherman. I was like, there must be something to it. Nope, nope. I think he, he just threw it high to Higby. <laughs> is that what you saw? I, I, if he did, he threw it real high because. Even Richard, when he got the ball, he's like, really? Yeah, no. Richard Sherman, for those of you that didn't watch this game, was sort of equidistant between... They're they're basically running levels, and they've got a wide receiver deep, and they've got Tyler Higby, their tight end, running a sort of medium depth route. And he's covered, and, and Sherman's sort of floating almost perfectly equidistant between the two. And there's probably, I don't know, eight yards of depth between the two. So he's four yards deeper than Higby and four yards short of the wide receiver, who's also covered. And Goff, yeah, just like Brett said, it looks like Goff throws it directly to him. In watching it a couple times on the replay, I think he overthrew Higby, 
but yeah, it wasn't pretty either way. Yeah, Sherman w- was midpointing both of the routes because he's waiting for the throw. He's like, okay, well, if you throw it deep, I'm going to float under it. Uh, if you throw it short, I'm going to drive on it. Like, uh, you know, he's older, but at least he can still do that. Uh, <laughs> he didn't even have to move. <laughs> Goff just threw no, it hit him in the chest. <laughs> it was like the, the so, pick that Wentz threw to the Eagles, where it's like Quantre Diggs literally didn't have to move. He just oh, the him. one that oh, Diggs is literally standing like heels on the heels on the goal line, and it just whack hits him in the numbers yeah. and, right, good for him he caught also it, the greatest the greatest touchback of all time i don't know if you, if you saw his little oh yeah little shuffle. Like, do, 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 do. <laughs> oh i did uh yes we're both inveterate football watchers so we saw all that stuff but uh the fu- so so far we've had a fumble uh jordan fuller's picked it off and then rich sherman picks it off for the 49ers and then Sebastian Joseph Day, who, if you'd asked me what team he was on before this week, I would not have been able to tell you even as much football as I watch. He causes a fumble for the Rams. And here we go. It's the it's the Keystone Cops theme, right? Uh, Jeff Wilson is running the ball also for the 49ers, and he has a vicious run. Uh, 9-19 in the second quarter, if you want to look it up. Uh, we were thinking about nominating it for a bootleg shot of the week. Uh, it was that good, but he does lower his head a bit. Couldn't exactly tell if he hit with the crown of his helmet, so he left it off. But Jeff Wilson pops the Rams defender. Like, he definitely got the better of that particular interaction. And then, of course, Jared Goff has to fumble it. <laughs> the Niners recover. It, uh, we're, I mean, yeah, but this is, we're already four turnovers in. Uh, Robbie Gould misses a 50-yarder, very uncharacteristic. Um, Goff gets pressured. The the 49ers pressure was pretty good in this game. And he throws a pick six to and let me check my notes. Javon Kinlaw? <laughs> and right? it was such a it was such a heady play by Kinlaw too, because Kinlaw drew the double. And he knows that even for as big and as strong as he is, if he's getting double teamed by two three hundred pounders, he's not gonna get to the quarterback. Like it's just this is how it is. So what does he do? He doesn't just stick on the double and do nothing. He dropped back into the passing lane. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my 35-inch arms and get yeah. into a window. Uh, I can't remember who else got the pressure on Goff, but they forced him to kind of throw it off platform, and it floated. And because Kinlock got into the lane, eyes on the ball, waiting for it, he picked it off and, and, and got a touchdown out of it. So, again, just a, a nice, heady play from a young guy to kind of recognize, like, look, I'm not going to be able to make an impact as a pass rusher here, but if I'm being doubled, that means somebody else is getting a one-on-one. So he's trusting them to go win the one-on-ones. He's going to drop into the passing lane and uh, kind of kind of feast on everybody else's uh, work as a pass rusher. So again, great instincts by him. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, Dolphins zero blitz that they were having so much success with a few weeks ago, and we were sort of diagramming that and saying, all right, you know, everybody go, and then if you get hard contact, pull back, right? Because, Mm -hmm. again, somebody you've basically taken up your guy, and now you can help more by dropping into those short lanes. And Kinlaw, like, look, we've been in a room with this guy uh, last year at the Senior Bowl without pads. He was just, you know, in a sort of long sleeve T-shirt and jeans. And he is a massive human being. Like, he is tall. He is really long in the arms. You mentioned those super long arms. Uh, really athletic for his size. Um, 
does not have any extra girth on him is is just cut even at his size and we had this little sort of friendly bet at the senior bowl about his weight because you were charging some camera equipment and i got there early and you got there and i remember about three minutes in you realize you're like you turned to me and you said did they weigh kinlaw and i was like uh-huh you want to guess <laughs> you were like 295 i was like keep going you're like 305 i was like no he's 315 you're like bullshit I was like, no, he's <laughs> he's fully three bills, but completely cut. Uh, looks like a looks like a basketball like power power forward. Not quite center. He's not quite that tall, um, but the ability again. If he drops two or three yards and then throws those arms up at his height, like you're not throwing the ball over him. And no. it's exactly what he did. Gets the pick, runs it in. Looks uh, extremely joyful in doing it. He does love football. And I'm sure he didn't wake up thinking he was going to score a touchdown, but sure enough, he does. Big play in the game. Gould tacks on another three for the Niners. The Niners lead 17-3 after that Gould field goal. Um, Cooper Cup makes an appearance. We saw a little bit of our favorite Robert Woods earlier on. Uh, my favorite thing about the the Cooper Cup gain, he gets a sort of big gain up the middle, is he gets vertical off this little crosser in route, and I love that. So many guys, when they run that crosser or sort of the deep end, just sort of continue across the field, right? They don't that that's it for them, sort of picking up more yardage. Cooper Cup took about two steps, turned it up hard, like straight up the seam, got what we typically say about running backs north south, and picks up like another 15 to 20. Like he made a very quick cut up field on that little crosser after he caught it, and it made a big difference in how much yardage after the catch he got. Um, but the Rams manage only three, so now it's 17 to six. And then we get Donald. Aaron Donald, like doing the Aaron oh Donald my God. thing, right? This was one of the best plays he's ever made. And that's saying a uh, lot. Like, this is Aaron yeah. Donald. <laughs> right. He's made so many, but this one's tremendous. Breaks through two blockers, hits the RB, and causes a fumble on the TFL. Like, got him a good two, three yards behind the line of scrimmage, anyways. Forces the fumble. Troy Hill is the beneficiary. Scoops and scores. Nutty play. Like, just again if you i watched that play two or three times it's like how did he get in there that fast did somebody blow the block is this an olay block oh blah, no blah, blah. no 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 nope. 22 of it is just crazy like it's duo so he's he's a three technique against duo which is like automatic you're getting double teamed into oblivion and so he's sitting there and he he does what's called a ricochet technique where which and he kind of combines it with like an arm over and a ricochet technique is where like you intentionally fire yourself into the play side shoulder of a blocker and then bounce off of him to get back into the play. Like you, again, you you're literally ricocheting yourself into the backfield, but he does it while doing an arm over on the guard who he knows is going to be double teaming him. So the guard completely whiffs. And so since the guard whiffs, the tackle was, was kind of going soft on it because he's expecting the guard to make contact and he didn't want to kind of impede him from climbing to the second level. So the tackle went soft on it. Donald literally just like threw him out of the way and bounced off of him and then stripped the running back in the backfield. And I saw that and I was like, how, how does a 300 pound man move that quickly to the point where the guard who's lined up 10 inches away from him does not even touch him it's just absolutely incredible play. And again, even by Donald's very lofty standards, 
that was in like the pantheon of great Aaron Donald plays. Yeah, the quickness of that play and the you could tell the running back just occasionally running backs look surprised. <laughs> They're just like, what the hell? Like, I just got this thing. Why is this guy in my face? And that was exactly the way it's like he was doing the same mental calculus. You were like, how did he beat two guys in 1.1 seconds? Right. That were dedicated to stop him. Um, but Donald does that anyways. It's not just good enough that he gets a TFL. He strips the ball on the way down. Rams end up getting a free score off of it. Um, it's a bootleg shot of the week nominee, not because the hit was huge, but just because, oh my God, like if you appreciate football players of any sort, you will appreciate that play. And then he's not done. <laughs> Breaks around <laughs> the left edge. They line him up as a five and he gets a big sack. 232 left in the third quarter. If you want to look that one up again, really quick to the quarterback, just absolutely dust the tackle on an inside move and then he's just there he's three steps away and he blasts nick mullins it was um, on the very next play after that touchdown by the way like mm-hmm. yeah we talked him. about jeremy chin's back-to-back impact plays this is aaron donald's back-to-back impact plays um and we're gonna talk about pat mahomes in a little bit uh and sometimes the volume of tremendous plays that the top players in the NFL make, the guys that really separate themselves, you got guys like Aaron Donald on the defensive line. You got guys like Pat Mahomes, at quarterback. You got like guys like Devontae Adams that make play after play. Um, we've seen uh, Dalvin Cook do it a little bit at running back. Uh, you know, Derrick Henry did it this week at running back. There are guys that just make play after play and like they're amazing and you rewind them, but there was just an amazing one, two plays ago. So you kind of almost get callous to it and you shouldn't get callous to Aaron Donald doing things like that, especially making impact on back-to-back plays because the way he's doing it and the sort of speed and ferocity he does it with is very special. Uh, Greatest defensive tackle I've ever seen and probably will ever see. I mean, I, eh, I I don't know that I can say that because I watch Reggie White play a bunch of ball. Um, well, I so. guess it depends if you count <laughs> if you count Reggie as a. I mean, Reggie was in everything, you know. Yeah, Reggie was anywhere you want to put him on the defensive line, and he can beat everybody up and down the defensive line, and he can do it with uh, ungodly strength. He did not have the quickness or the his hands were very good, but Donald is just a different animal. He's quite different, I think, than a lot of other defensive tackles in that he's in the mold of a three tech. Like he's a classic sort of slashing three tech, but that's not everything about like that's selling him very, very short. (laughs) When he was coming out of pit, uh, I said, Oh, he's John Randall. And and everybody's like, no, like John Randall's a one of a kind. Like he he can't be John Randall. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, no, he's better than John Randall. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) I thought he was better against like the double team than John Randall. But it is interesting. Like he's clearly one of the top, I would say, three players in the NFL right now. I mean, he might be top. By the time he retires, he might be top three defensive linemen, period. Yeah, but I would say of active players in the NFL, if you get deeper than three players and you've not yet picked Aaron Donald in a fantasy draft, like of, of, you know, fantasy team building draft, like you're doing it wrong. 
just amazing. Do not take him for granted. You are going to be telling people, you know, five and 10 years from now, I, I watched Aaron Donald do this live and I watched Aaron Donald do this live and they're just, they're nobody like him. Um, he's, he is special. So yeah. we got to see Cam Akers get loose again this week. Um, chase down inside a 10 yard line, but then scores on the dive. So Cam Akers, again, one of those guys that's heating up a little bit, getting some more opportunities now, sort of mid, mid to mid late season and making a lot out of them, which is great. Uh, Mullins doesn't call it quits for the Niners, mounts a drive, drills one to Richie James. I always liked Richie James coming out. He was kind of that Swiss army knife. Is he a receiver? Is he a return specialist? Uh, he's kind of both. Um, but the Rams snuff out the drive with a jailbreak rush. Early in the first quarter, Goff gets sacked. Rams stall. Mullen gets a big completion to Juszczyk, who fumbles out of bounds because we're just not done with the fumbling and the interceptions. We needed one more. 49ers keep possession because he fumbled out of bounds. That's 520 in the fourth quarter. Niners come down and tie it with a field goal. 311 left. Ends up being a big slant to Debo to break it to midfield, and then Gold wins it with no time left. Just a wild game, having that many turnovers, that many sort of big, crazy impact plays that went back and forth. Um, you know, not the certainly not the prettiest game to watch, uh, and I would say one of the more unexpected games of the week for me. Uh, but a fantastic football game, a wild finish, you know, one with no time left on a long field goal. Um, a lot of very interesting and cool plays on both sides. I'm sure the Rams are smarting a little bit. I, I bet they thought they had the Niners right where they wanted them. And, um, boy, Shanahan, he's doing a hell of a coaching job with a lot of losses. One of my favorite tweets from the weekend, I can't remember who sent it, but they're like, you could design an entire offense around Debo Samuel running slants. And I don't disagree. I mean, he's incredible at it, and he's so good after the catch. I don't know who the which corner was on him, whether it was Ramsey or uh, or Williams. They've both been phenomenal this year, but I mean he's just doing like a little a little motor release uh, or some called a foot fire release where you just da 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 and like you just kind of freeze the corner and then burst inside. And he's so freaking explosive, like between him and Ayuk and and Kittle and all the running backs that run four four for yeah. them. They have a type. <laughs> they have a type, which is just yak on yak on yak. Which is good, right? That they yeah. understand their system and that they are drafting players at those spots. They're not all the same. That's not what we're meaning to say. It's that um, at those spots, they know what they want. And we highlighted this in our divisional previews this, this year. We said, look, they're going to be fine at running back no matter what because they have four or five guys that all do the same thing. And that's exactly what the scheme asks them to do and all those guys can do it so they're set i don't care if you know their names or not you know they've got a conveyor belt of them and sure enough they've used every one of them this year um and receivers are kind of the same thing they want guys who are a little bit versatile they want guys who are explosive after the catch who run strong um that was one of Ayuk's like major calling card traits this year in the draft is his competitiveness after the catch is second to none he does not want to give up on any snap samuel's the same way big physical guy that is willing to break tackles and the offense is sort of predicated on that it's built on that and the 49ers know that and they go get those guys and kudos to them for doing it because there's a lot of teams that draft talent that don't fit their schemes the 49ers are not one of them yeah they the the mind meld that the front office 
there has with the coaching staff is easily one of the best in the league. And that's why, despite all of the adversity they've gone through this year, they're still only like five and six. Like, I mean, they're barely under 500. Like Kyle Shanahan should honestly be nominated for coach of the year because there's a lot of other coaches out there that would maybe have won two games at most under the under these circumstances. It's been incredible what Shanahan's been able to do. Um, and they don't, they don't get enough credit. But yeah, wild game. Loved it from start to finish. Kind of ugly, but in a very, very entertaining fun way. way. It was very fun, fun way. It wasn't Bears ugly or, or current Eagles ugly. It was it was fun ugly. And uh, with that being said, before we move on to our last highlighted game of the week, I do want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart designs and high quality fabrics. Mac Weldon offers a one-stop shop for all of the men's basics out there that you need. Socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, active shorts, whatever you need in a wide variety of customizable fabrics like Air Knit X, Dry Knit, and Warm Knit. Mac Weldon has you covered. And they also created a totally free loyalty program called Weldon Blue. In level one of Weldon Blue, that gets you free shipping for life. And once you reach level two by spending up to $200, Mac Weldon gives you 20% off of every order that you make for the next year. I've personally got a whole bunch of stuff from Mac Weldon myself in my closet. My favorite item is easily the Ace hoodie. It's the only zip up hoodie that I wear these days, to be honest. But it's kind of like a perfect blend for like the California winters that are chilly, but not really cold which I guess for everywhere else in the country is just like a little two-week period in spring and fall, but for California, that's like half the year. So I love that thing. And EJ, I know you have some stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. I've got the Airnet X boxers, the 8-inch. Love those things. Extremely comfortable underwear. If they are clean, I'm putting them on. And if they're in the drawer, I'm digging down to try and find them. Um, All-day wear comfort, well-ventilated, moves well one of the most comfortable underwear pieces I have. Yeah, just everything they make is super well made. And if you want to try it out for yourself, you can score big this week at the start of the holiday gift buying season and get 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com slash bootleg and enter promo code bootleg. Plus, if you spend $75 or more, you'll get a free silver mask as well. So that's MacWeldon.com slash bootleg promo code bootleg for 20% off your order Promise you will not regret it. And with that being said, EJ, let's move on to our uh, third and final highlighted game of the week, uh, which I know we highlight most games, but these are the ones that we drone on and on and on and on and on about. And honestly, there's very few games that I can think of that are worth droning on about more than Chiefs Buccaneers. This thing had everything. I I mean, we had Tyreek Hill having a historic first quarter. We had Pat Mahomes doing Pat Mahomes things. We had some great defensive plays. We had angry Tom Brady. We had dominant Tom Brady. We had Gronk making a vintage appearance with 100 yards on the game. I mean, and everything. I I know the game seemed out of reach for the Buccaneers for most of it, but in terms of like losing efforts, I got to say, I was pretty encouraged by what I saw from Tampa. This game was awesome. They definitely came back. It seems very much like Tom Brady took all the talk during the week because there was a lot of it of, hey, he doesn't match Arian's system. He's not completing the long pass that Arian needs to make his offense work. 
Seems like Tom Brady took a page out of the Michael Jordan book and, you know, did the Michael Jordan meme about it. And I took that personally, right? Because he was gunning <laughs> in this game. But uh, it was, we had a game earlier like this this year with, with Kirk Cousins for the Vikings where he got, like, outplayed, but he had a great game, right? He was slinging it. He was completing. He had a ton of yards, bunch of touchdowns, but he just got outplayed. Brady was kind of the same thing. Like he just ran into a buzzsaw named Patrick Mahomes and that combination, that sort of preternatural, ah, just empathic connection between Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes is, I think that's the primary connection between QB and receiver in the NFL right now. And I don't think you can argue that point. Like there's a lot of good connections talked about cousins jefferson certainly people talk about russell wilson used to be to lock it now people are starting to shift that to dk like i get it those are all good arguments nobody's touching mahomes and tyree kill right now they are on another level on another plane and hill had a uh it's fair to call it massive first quarter i know you tweeted about this Uh, i was watching at the same time and you were like excuse me a couple of hundred yards a couple of touchdowns Uh, it's just this stuff again don't blink or you'll miss it this isn't gonna happen again um hit that first quarter that he'll put up like a lot of people think oh it's just patrick mahomes and some fast guy i hear that a lot tyree kill he's a speed guy he had a very tough catch over carlton davis who is a tremendously physical and talented corner who is playing well this year and look carlton davis knew he was signed up for a long day they matched him up one-on-one with hill for most of the day That's a mismatch for Carlton Davis. He is a big physical corner. He prides himself on the jam. If he doesn't get his hands on you, it's going to be a rougher day. And Hill is, look, he's a Ferrari. He's a speedster. He's a cheetah, whatever you want to call him. But he's also very physical, and he showed it in that first quarter. But yeah, if he gets loose, you're not catching him. He has that kind of speed. And there were, you know, a couple of throws, obviously, with that many yards. The Mahomes bomb to Hill is a rocket. It's a 75-yard touchdown. He probably throws it 60-65 in the air. And it's a rip. It's an absolute Patrick Mahomes fastball, right? Famously drafted in baseball. Great arm. And he guns it. And Hill's fast enough to keep up with it. And the Bucks cornerbacks just sort of look at it. I don't want to say helplessly. They were there, but they weren't close enough to make the play. And it turns into a 75-yard touchdown. It's it's just a performance for the ages, and these guys have been doing it every week. I've said, I think, on the past three bootlegs, oh, Mahomes to Hill for touchdown again. I'm kind of bored with this, right? You shouldn't <laughs> be bored with it. It's happening every week, but this week was, was pretty special. We're going to talk about some throws later on that were uh, otherworldly. Um, one of them a, a big deal for a touchdown. One of them a sort of nondescript throw that was amazing, but a lot of people aren't going to like pay it any attention because it wasn't a big stats throw didn't result in a touchdown it did sort of you get lulled by all the flash um and speaking of flash casey ran a triple reverse and then kelsey tried to throw it to mahomes in the end zone in the first quarter and a linebacker just stood in between him and knocked it down it was kind of an ugly play and casey settles for three there uh, the fact that they only win uh by three he sort of comes back on that play when you know it felt like they had three chances to score and then they blew it going for the fourth option. Right. Yeah. There, there were, uh, there were a few plays that Kansas city 
quote unquote got away with. But again, because <laughs> they can score from 75 yards out in one play, they can do that kind of stuff. Like they can afford to miss on their trick plays. You know, we, we had this discussion a while back where it's like if the Bears ran it and and they miss an opportunity, you'll be oh, like, God, okay, be well, massacred. <laughs> well, it's like, okay, well, they're going to lose because they just blew all their, you know, every bullet they had, they just emptied it. Whereas with the Chiefs, like they just kind of do that stuff for fun. Like they don't have to do it. They just do it because they can. And if it doesn't work, they're they're not really in trouble because again, they're so explosive. Like they're they're just as comfortable in third and thirteen as they are in first and ten. It doesn't matter for them. They play by different rules for everyone else. So if a touchdown turns into a field goal because they missed on a shot, they don't care. They don't care at all. Like they they honestly I, I know that we like to say that, that Tampa had a much better defensive second half, and they did. You know, they doubled the shit out of Tyreek Hill. They doubled Travis Kelsey, and they said, okay, go go beat us with everyone else. And they almost did. You know, we had, uh, there was a, a seam ball, I think to Meekhole, I think it was, that was dropped that would have been a wide open touchdown. Uh, there were some penalties that put him in like second and 30. Like part of the reason why Casey's offense quote unquote got stopped in the second half is they took their foot off the gas a little bit. The receivers not named Tyreek and Travis were making mistakes and the offensive line was holding like crazy. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like Kansas city beat themselves as much as Tampa beat them in the second half. That's how damn scary they are is that you have to hope for holding and drops and just little mistakes just to even have a shot to get back in the game. Yeah. I fully agree, and we should talk about the other side of the ball. We talk about we talk about the Chiefs a lot, but the Bucks had a bunch of good plays. Um, JPP with a strip sack of Mahomes. I don't know about you that that was almost startling because Mahomes like always gets away. <laughs> he yeah. always escapes. He always ends up getting a completion past the sticks. It's just so regular now that when you just see him get nailed by JPP and strip sacked. Um, yeah, it's a little little startling, a little off-putting. But JVP, uh, John Pierre Paul, great season this year, um, putting up stats, making impact plays. Um, and like we said, Brady, I think, took that I can't throw deep or he can't throw deep talk pretty seriously. And Brady DeGronk is as pretty as it ever was. He hit him down the middle seam for 20, 20 22, something like that. It was, you know, it was New England all over again. Um, little nostalgia for folks of, you know, pretty, pretty seam route tight end passing. Um, the other person I really want to talk about is Rojo, the running back for Tampa. He looks more special this year than I think I've ever seen him coming out. I thought, Hey, he's a good running back, but he was in the clear middle tier for me. He was definitely not anywhere near the top guys. The year he came out, he has, started strong this year and I think increased it the little outlet pass that he turned into this sort of amazing high stepping high wire act down the sideline sort of started to say oh is he tickling that upper tier of guys that are really difference makers at the running back position the Camaras, the cooks the cmcs when he's healthy um he has shown and it wasn't the only play he had in this game um Another big bursting run up through the middle, uh, late third, early fourth. He just, he has that special quality to him this year, and it's really making him stand out. I haven't seen that from him before in college or the pros, and and he's making a difference. So 
Um, we saw Chris Godwin get lit up uh, and start to really make a difference. Bunch of big grabs in a row. We saw a couple TDs to Evans, um, both of them on long throws. Brady was launching to get to him. So the Bucks were not a palooka in this one. They were, you know, fighting back and using all the weapons they have, which are <laughs> legion, right? They have a lot of guys on their team that are very talented. In the end, they couldn't quite keep pace with Mahomes and and all the weapons on his side, uh, but made for an incredibly entertaining game that came down to a three-point contest and Casey having, like you said, to make some plays late to keep possession because they'd taken their foot off the gas a little bit and made some mistakes. But Mahomes had to make a couple plays with his receivers at the end there to keep the clock winding down because he knew... He knew he couldn't give the ball back to Brady because they'd started a fire in the second half and they've got big play options too. So ends up being a very interesting game after what looked like a blowout in the making in the first quarter. And I think this game, again, was just... It, it, this game really drives home, you know, make Nicole Hardman beat you. Make Demarcus Robinson beat you. Make Sammy Watkins beat you. Don't let Tyreek do it. Don't let Travis do it. Don't let Pat run. You know, put a spy, double Tyreek, oh, double God. Travis. That little option. Oh, oh I mean, the little option keeper to Mahomes. He's, he's, that was he's so good at filthy. everything. He's good at everything. I know. But I would rather. That was such a. I would play. rather make them do that ten times a game to get yards than throwing forty yard darts to Tyreek. Like play a cloud corner, put somebody underneath him that can just jam the shit out of him without needing to worry about missing. Because like uh, there was a, a a seed that Pat threw in the first quarter. I think it was the first drive to Tyreek. Uh, it was like a back shoulder ball over Carlton Davis, which he had a few of those. And I remember watching it back, and I was like, Carlton Davis is impressed, but he's not actually putting his hands on him. It's because he's scared, because he knows if he misses, he's done. But the thing is, because he, yeah. because he wasn't pressing, <laughs> he was getting beat anyway, because he doesn't run 4-2. Yeah. And so, like, you have to, you know, play two high safeties, um, put a cloud corner on Tyreek, somebody that can jam him without worrying about getting beat deep. Like that that's a receiver's worst nightmares is having to have a safety over the top of the cloud corner. Cause it's extremely hard to beat, uh, you know, have a safety glancing at Travis Kelsey's way every single down and make all the other guys beat you. Like make Clyde Edwards Hilaire do it for whatever reason. They refuse to throw to running backs this year, but still make Clyde Edwards Hilaire do it. Make Demarcus Robinson do it. Make Sammy Watkins do it. Stop letting Tyreek Hill rip you to shreds because if you leave him one-on-one that's what he's gonna do uh, it, it took it took Todd Bowles way too long to adjust in this game and if they adjusted earlier they might have had a shot yeah Brad Kelly our friend Brad Kelly said on Twitter I appreciate the Bucks first half game plan because it showed me what Tyreek Hill would be if he was singled up every week yes yes right and the answer is yes. If you leave him one-on-one, he will do that to you because he is a much better receiver than I think most people give him credit for. More complete, physical, good releases, obviously great speed, good hands, very competitive for the ball in the air, uh, and can finish. Like uh, There were a couple plays. These are not all just, you know, Mahomes threw it over their head and he just glided into the end zone. There are a couple cutbacks to stay in bounds, beat guys that were, again, playing that sort of cloud over the top. And, you know, if you leave him one-on-one, he will he will massacre you. He will put you far enough in a hole that you can't just play and let the other guys beat you. So I'm with you. Like, 
takeaway, if you have to take away in order, it's Hill first, and then it's Kelsey as a very close second, and then, you know, sort of Mahomes with his, again, he's mobile, he can scramble third, and then let everybody else sort of open, which is a scary prospect because, again, there's a lot of talented players there. But if you leave Hill open or one-on-one, Really at all in the first half, you're going to be playing from behind. You might be playing from behind anyways, kind of like Carlton Davis, right? You might, you might miss either way. But if you do that, it's almost assured that you're not going to catch him because Hill will gouge you. Yeah, it's just I, I'm, I'm curious to see if defenses are going to learn. For, like if I should say if other teams' defenses are going to learn from this uh, and, and how – how teams attack them in the playoffs. Because obviously, you know, regular season's regular season. Uh, but when you get into January and you're getting a potential rematch with the Raiders, uh, who had some success against this offense, well, quote-unquote success, they still they still scored 30 points, but still, you know, they had success. Uh, you're playing against probably a rematch against Baltimore. You still got the Steelers to look at. Like, there are some really good defenses in the AFC that are going to be looking at this game and saying, okay, we'll take some notes on this. We'll see if, we'll see if this works. So, again, very curious to see what happens in the future. But, yes, uh, a couple more things to, to talk about in this game. Uh, Brady's interceptions are starting to become a little bit of a problem. Not all of them are his fault. You know, there's there's... You know, deflections at the line of scrimmage. There's miscommunications with his receivers, but it's things that never really happened in New England, and now all of a sudden they're happening in Tampa. And it's it's kind of interesting to see how you know the the disciplined, you know, mistake free machine of New England versus the kind of loosey goosey Bruce Arians kind of culture and. You could, you could almost see Tom's frustration with it at times where receivers aren't doing exactly what he expects them to do after spending 20 years in, in the same system where he always knew exactly what receivers are going to do. Like, particularly his connection with Mike Evans. Like, I know he threw a couple touchdowns, but there was also an interception that was directly caused by Mike Evans doing something not quite the same way that Tom expected. So then he held the ball for an extra little extra little bit. And then uh, when by the time he finally threw it, it got deflected and then picked. Uh, that was the Tyron Matthew interception, I believe. But every single week, there's there's some sort of mistake or miscommunication on side adjust with Mike Evans after three months into this season, and it's still happening. So uh, the interceptions are becoming a problem for Tom, but in particular, the miscommunications with his receivers are really becoming a problem for Tom. And I'm weirdly enough, I'm not seeing it get any better. Yeah, he's pressing. He was pressing in this game, and he he came up with some success. Look, he had long completions to Godwin, uh, to Gronkowski. He had a couple of nice touchdowns to Evans, but he he did go back to the well sort of one too many times. Um, He unloaded a bomb to Godwin, uh, got that one to Evans down the sideline, then tried it again down the sideline, and he got picked. And he's he seemed to be saying, look, I can throw it deep, but I'm going to throw it deep, right? I'm not going to take the check down because everybody's saying I can't do it. And he, look, he's famously, ferociously competitive. He heard that stuff and he came out gunning, right? And when you're gunning like that, you're going to press it. You're going to throw up some 50-50 balls or what, what might actually be 40-60 balls. And again, if you throw in that little bit of miscommunication or lack of familiarity or lack of that 
sort of drilled true understanding of if this happens, you'll do this. And you're going to get some of those toss-up balls, and it is going to be frustrating for him because he has been used to the other, right? The regimented, the rigorous for for 20 years. And now it's like, hey, give it a rip. And I know Bruce Arians is is happy that they put up the 24 points versus KC, which is a talented defense, but uh, Brady's not going to be happy with that because he's going to think more about the misses than the hits, I think. Yeah, it's... I'm 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 just kind of waiting for it all to click. And, and Tony Romo put on a, a brilliant performance as a color analyst in this game because he was kind of explaining how Tampa almost started to look more New England-ish even like as the game went on. And he seems very confident that uh, that they're going to kind of change their mindset, or rather, just kind of focus more on efficiency than flash throughout the rest of the season, just based on what he saw in this game. So I'm I'm curious to see if that actually happens because usually when Tony Romo says something, he's right. Uh, he just he sees the game at an at an unreal high level. Uh, so that's kind of something to pay attention to is. Is Tony correct in terms of seeing an offensive shift for Tampa? And if he is, if they kind of change their minds a little bit, uh, will that work out for them to be more uh, a more efficient offense as we get into December? Because right now, efficiency is probably the main thing they need and just kind of playing mistake-free football. Yeah, it's a fundamental sort of clash at the highest level, right? It's <laughs> Bruce Arians saying, I like it done this way, and Tom Brady saying, well, I'm more comfortable slash I like it done this way. And what we see down the stretch is, you know, going to be indicative of who won. Yeah. Right. And that's just a fascinating sort of dance to watch because I think Tony's probably right. I'm with you on this one that, you know, good coaches are going to say, okay, you know, my personnel is more fit to this particular system. I'm not going to force it on him. Uh, We'll see if Arians and his staff make that switch. Um, and if they do, I think they have a really good chance because look, Tom has more talent around him on offense than almost any season in new England, right? They may do with a lot of spare parts in new England and, you know, Tom made that click with that rigor and that system, but look, there weren't any Mike Evans, Chris Godwin combos in, in Foxborough, right? They I think had, they had, Randy Moss, I think they had they, like the closest to it was Moss and Welker. And I, right. maybe 2011, if like you count like Gronk and Hernandez as like the number one and number two receivers. But again, and here you've it's got, not like they ever. Yeah, here you've got the aging Gronk to play the middle there, but you've also got Cameron Brait. You've also got Rojo, who I would say is playing at a higher level than most New England backs. Although Damian Harris is having a good season, but a different kind of like good season. Um, he's got some great linemen in front of him. And the Patriots had many great lines but uh, he's got a high level of talent around him and if arians adapts that system to make him more comfortable and focus on the efficiency um and the consistency we could see tampa bay turn into a real threshing machine right now they're still sort of letting it loose and and you know scoring a lot some weeks and and not making enough connections other weeks so it's gonna be a fascinating thing to watch down the stretch yeah absolutely um, why don't we say we get into fourth and long here because we got a lot more games to go through. I'm just kind of touching on a few here. We'll start off with Giants Bengals. Um, I'll be honest, I I didn't. I only watched the highlights for this one because Joe Burrow wasn't in it, and I saw that Daniel Jones got <laughs> hurt. 
So I was like, okay, uh, we should. Been... Yeah, we should talk about that in general. That at this point in the season, we're probably like I watched all the games this week, but starting probably next week, I'm probably not going to watch all the games because look, some teams are pretty well out of it. And there's always interesting games to talk about, but we're going to have to start to shift, especially myself. I'm going to have to start to shift to draft prep and looking at players that are going places like the senior bowl, because that's coming up as well. So, um, we're going to, we're going to start to trim down on the game recaps a little bit in future weeks, but I did watch Giants Bengals, uh, probably two or three really interesting things in this one, because again, Joe Burrow was out of it. Uh, the, New York Giants, speaking of adjustments, have adjusted to using Evan Engram. They didn't do it for the first half of the year. Um, He had a very sort of understated role, and they have basically turned Evan Engram into a wide receiver. He is Mm -hmm. a pure move tight end. They are running him from the slot and wider. They ran him from wide out um, a couple of times this game, and to great effect, right? Um, Huge floater down the sideline to start this game. 53 yards, longest Giants pass of the year. And it was to Engram, and he was literally lined up wide outside the hashes and just took off. And they're playing him like a wide receiver, and, and he can make good on that. So that's an interesting twist. Wayne Gallman, we talked about earlier, continuing to churn out high-quality yards and scores. Um, and then also on the Giants side, Leonard Williams, we talked about this a little bit pre-pod, grabs another sack, and he has six this year and i really liked leonard williams i asked you what you thought of him uh coming out you said you really liked him as well and he just kind of went to the jets and whatever it was landing spot motivation whatever he never really made good he had some decent years but it was never like oh leonard williams is amazing and that's the way i felt about him coming out i really actually wanted him to go to the bears and he went one pick earlier um but he has six sacks this year and again he got traded uh sort of uh, in a weird trade to the Giants last year on sort of a half-year rental. Didn't have a great year, and everybody said, oh, that was, you know, wasted capital by by Gettleman. And this year, new staff, and he looks comfy. He's he's picked up six sacks, so, uh, and has made a bunch of other impact plays, so he's hooked up to the Juvenation machine. Um, yeah, he is uh, tied for third among all defensive tackles and quarterback hits, if you can believe it, which is... I, I can because he has that kind of talent, but he just never showed it. And it just goes to show you that moving to a scheme or a coaching staff or both that better understands your usage, or again, we just talked about it with Arians, makes you more comfortable, you're going to have better results. And if it makes you less comfortable, people are going to say, oh, you sucker, you're a bust, which is not necessarily true, but fit is essential. And boy, does it look like Leonard Williams has found a much more ideal fit uh, or is a quote-unquote late bloomer, whatever you want to call it, he's having a very good year for the Giants. You want to hear a crazy list, by the way? Uh, sure, I'm always up for a crazy list. You know me. Here is the list of names among interior defensive linemen that have more pressures than Leonard Williams this year. That's sacks, hits, and hurries. Here are the four names. Aaron Donald, Stephon Tuitt, Grady Jarrett, and Chris Jones. That is it. Wow. He he's he's ahead of Cam Hayward. He's ahead of Akeem Hicks, Fletcher Cox, Buck. Guys like Jeffrey Simmons, who had Simmons. You know, Jeffrey Simmons missed some time with injury, but was just a wrecking ball early in the year. So yeah. Very impressive. And I think because he's playing on a not great Giants team, a lot of people aren't paying attention to that. And I understand that. Like, look, I get it. It's no fun to watch teams get shellacked every week. 
Um, ask me, I know I'm a Bears fan, but uh, <laughs> no, Leonard Williams having a very nice year uh, for the Giants, and and it looks like a piece that they can build around on the interior defensive line. Um, other than that, not a ton to watch in this game. Um, yeah, Brandon Allen was playing quarterback for the Bengals. Yeah, he showed some last minute life uh, hitting Higgins and Bernard. They get aided by a roughing penalty that was kind of weak. Um, throws for the end zone. Boyd gets a PI, gets a late TD to Higgins to make it a little bit closer. Uh, but interesting game. Uh, the Giants, uh, probably the most notable thing is the Giants dropped like six draft spots for winning this game. Yeah, I think they're picking 19th now. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, like I got. I, I actually had. Uh, a very uh, incensed poster on Twitter in, uh, uh, intimate that I, I retweeted that stat that they dropped in the draft order um, with a one-word retweet that said, ouch, which I thought was fairly self-explanatory. Like, wow, that's, you know, one win makes six draft slots. That's a big deal for a team. I, I was more in, I think they went from sixth overall to 19th. So I think it was 13 yeah. draft slots. It was insane. Yeah, big, big, big drop. And I said, ouch. And I got, quote-unquote, this is a crap-ass take. <laughs> and I was like, huh? And he said, no team should ever lose or tank, blah, blah, blah. I think a you know hard-fought win late in the season is more important for a young team, blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, I, I, I didn't say they should have lost. <laughs> I didn't say yeah. they should throw in the towel. I just said, hey, they won a game, and woof, the price for winning that game is pretty high. Like, that's a fact, I thought. Anyways, yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised by that, but... Uh, Kudos to you, random Twitter guy, for for calling out a quote unquote crap ass take that was all of one word that just said "ouch." Um, <laughs> That's Twitter for you. Yeah, Twitter's a fascinating place. All right, cards, Pats. Um, this was the Alabama alumni game. We had Damian Harris, Kenyon Drake, and Drake Kirkpatrick all playing prominent roles. Interesting game came down to the wire. Another field goal wins it, sort of uh, at the buzzer. Um, I would say very different performances from Cam Newton and Kyler Murray, but uh, both effective, um, kept their teams in it. Um, running games on both sides were, were a big deal. Obviously, Kenyon Drake had a big day for Arizona. Damian Harris uh, had a very good day uh, for the Pats as well. Kenyon Drake just really is sort of an afterthought. Miami gets traded to Arizona. Everybody says, how is he going to fit? Is he going to be a complimentary piece? Is he just holding a space for somebody else? Turns out that Kenyon Drake kind of gets it with Cliff Kingsbury talking about fit again. And he's a very effective piece in their attack. Like, I think he's more, I don't want to say necessary because, look, running backs are fungible and, you know, easily replaceable. Uh, but Kenny Drake sort of gets it with the Cardinals, and he is a very productive piece for them. Yeah, I mean, the name of the game for him has always been kind of like lateral agility and burst and kind of, you know, making stuff happen in space, and that, that offense is so wide open and so uh, so spread out that he's going to get opportunities in space, and, and he always kind of, not always, but he pays those off. Like, he's not, a guy, he's not the kind of guy that you're going to run ISO with, you know, like a... <laughs> not if you want to be super successful not but. if you want to be successful so again they get him involved in outside zone they get him involved in crack toss you know getting the ball in space on screens and sweeps and stuff like that um they'll run like inside zone or duo every now and then just as a change up but yeah he picked up a score on it in this game 
Yeah, um, yeah. Pounds it in after he, again, big chunk early in the fourth, like you said, a more of a sort of OZ run, uh, and then they finish it up because they were down close, and he pounds it in. He's he's done that several times. Uh, I've been a bit surprised with as many teams as are running, you know, either duos or trios at running back and having more of a sort of short yardage specialist. Um, Jordan Howard famously early in the season was on pace for like, <laughs> I don't know, 64 carries, 16 yards and 16 touchdowns or something <laughs> because he just wasn't getting anything, but he was scoring a lot. Uh, Arizona really doesn't have one. They keep Kenyon Drake in there and that line has been, I would say, overperforming and, and he's scoring behind it in those short yardage situations. They're, um, they're keeping it simple. They'll occasionally scramble to the outside with Kyler, which is a very tough sort of one, two to, to plan for, right? Do I need to keep with the ultra quick guy to the outside or is Kenyon Drake going to just sort of smash it in for a yard and a half? And, uh, they've been successful on both. My, uh, my big takeaway from this game is that new England tries to, and sometimes succeeds at, and sometimes doesn't, but they really do play team football. Like to get a win, they have to get contributions from every aspect of the team. They got a good pick, off Kyler, where uh, it was Adam Butler just kind of getting his hand in the throwing lane, and you saw him and Winovich just literally jumping up in the air because they're like, hey, this dude's 5'10". We just got to put our arms up and jump, and maybe we can kind of grab one. And they got to pick off a deflection that set up a score. They got a huge uh, 50-yard return from Moncrief that set up an an easy, manageable drive that got a score. They had another special teams uh, touchdown on a punt return by uh, Gunnar Olszewski that got called back on a bogus penalty uh, for a blindside block that was not a blindside block, but again, just kind of shows like they were getting contributions from all three phases uh, in order to get this win here, and that's that's kind of how they have to win. They, they can't rely on offense, they can't rely on defense, and they can't just rely on special teams. All of them need to show up because they don't have a truly elite unit. Yeah, what do you mean? Uh, you're telling me that a Bill Belichick coach team is going to play hard in all three phases and for 60 minutes? Like, wait, <laughs> what? I'm I'm stunned, but you're right. Uh, they're not dominating in any phase right now, but again, if they're going to play team football, they can hang in it. They get right down to it, and again, they rely on special teams. Nick Volk wins it with no time left. So um, Patriots come away uh, with the victory over the Cardinals. Next game is Chargers-Bills. Herbert starts off where he's left off, rips an early one to Keenan Allen for the score, but they miss the extra point. Little, little weird Sunday in terms of uh, quite a few extra points missed, some fairly easy field goals missed as well. Um, and then I know you wanted to say something about the this. The Bills run that little orbit screen and turn it into a wide receiver pass. This was a dirty, dirty play. And we've we've seen a whole bunch of teams kind of build off of that return orbit motion like we saw the Niners and the Rams and all these these people like run a run an option run with it where like for instance when the Niners do it it's like Kyle Juszczyk's motioning and then he immediately turns around and sprints out as like a lead blocker while you have um, a receiver running orbit and then all of a sudden they started um, doing the orbit motion where uh, like for instance, use check would then run around the quarterback while you have a receiver running underneath on a screen. So they kind of like switched positions on the motion. And, and now you have a return motion from a tight end and then you have Cole Beasley getting an option pass like they're running QB counter. 
And then all of a sudden Beasley throws it down the field for a touchdown. So like it's it's like the same sort of kind of look with like a motion that looks similar of like a guy sprinting and then stopping and then turning around and running the other way. And you expect it to be an option run because that's what everybody does with it. And then you get a pass behind it. Like it's just little kind of nifty things that Brian Dable does to take a trend in the league and then turn it on its head. Just I I love watching this Bills team, man. They're just they're fun to watch. Yeah, my favorite thing about that was literally being able to hear the Chargers defensive backs in your head go, oh, shit. (laughs) Right? They start coming up on Beasley, three of them. They start coming up on Beasley. They all take a good, hard two or three steps. And then he rears back and they're like, no. (laughs) He just lofts it. Gabe Davis wide open the end zone. So, um Again, a team that's getting a contribution from a lot of its offense. Uh, obviously, Josh Allen, we talk about a lot. Both of their running backs, Singletary and Zach Moss, has really come on. Had some good plays in this game as well. Um, wide receivers, we talked about Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley. They're really getting contributions from all over the offense and have looked just sort of in sync and in stride for most of the season. Allen had a little rough patch there for a couple of games where he kind of forgot his clock. Looked a little bit rusty on the Bosa sack again. Allen's clock looked like he just sort of forgot that it existed. Bosa had a little bit extra time to get to him. But Allen scores on a keeper, which is definitely part of his game. Um, You know, big, strong guy who we know can run very, very well. Josh Kelly had a couple big plays in this game in a row. Big burst to get the Chargers down down to the goal line, then dove in for the score. Did you know he had that kind of vert, by the way? I mean, he got... Uh, there. <laughs> I didn't, but he cleared the line easily. It looked like yeah. a sort of Peyton, Peyton-esque dive, and I know that's going to be sacrilegious to a lot of fellow uh, Chicago fans, but go back and watch it. Like, he, yeah, he, uh, I did not know that he had that kind of vertical. Um, we got a little inside scoop on Josh Kelly from a friend of mine that works at UCLA, and he had said things like, look, super hard worker, you know, walked on, got a scholarship, um, ended up playing a, a significant role for us. Great guy. Didn't really talk about the athletic gifts, but he's got him. The the burst down the sideline to get him there was uh definitely showed that and then yeah, I was uh I was a little taken aback by the hops, but scored easily. Um the Bills one two punch of Singletary and Moss looked great in this game. Uh Singletary was banging over some guys but lost a ball again that fumble uh thread running through all of Sunday. Um, and then field goals instead of touchdowns that we talk about that every week, but both of these teams settled at some point for field goals when they probably should have had touchdowns. Um, Herbert, uh, gets sacked and fumbled, but got it back. Didn't lose it. Um, he got intercepted by Tredavious white later on. Uh, it's a lot of back and forth in this game. Uh, but I know that you wanted to talk about, uh, the chargers head coach and his quote unquote, management of game clock so i have a question for the chargers fans that listen to the podcast and you can feel free to respond in the comments below how are you people still alive how 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 do you deal with this every single week i mean the 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 sheer mismanagement from a professional coaching staff is incredible i mean people rag on the end of game sequence and i'll get there but at the end of the second quarter 
when the Chargers had the ball, they were already down by 11. So they're trying to drive and get some points because I think they were getting the second half kickoff. Uh, it's third and nine from almost midfield. It's from, from their own 45-yard line. Um, Herbert gets a seven-yard gain. So they're just over midfield in the Buffalo 48. Again, inside of a minute, they had uh, two timeouts, and they wait 15 seconds. Like, it's just tick, 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 and then they call a timeout. So I'm like, okay, well, it's fourth and two. The offense is out there. Maybe they just didn't like the play that they had called, and they wanted to get a new one. Nope, then they put out the punting unit. (laughs) So it's like, hold on. You stop the clock for Buffalo, who still had 20 seconds and two timeouts to work with. You stop the clock for them so that you could punt rather than just running it all the way down and punting or taking a delay a game and punting just to make sure that you wouldn't give them a touchback. Like maybe you can get a coffin corner, whatever you want to do. But hey, you're midfield. So either you're going to go for it or you don't. You're already down by 11. But why run 15 seconds off the clock like you're going to run a play only to then realize, oh, wait, no, I don't want to. And then you call a timeout. Uh, which then gives Buffalo back time. And then in the fourth quarter, it's even worse in terms of time management. I I don't think I've ever seen a team hit on back-to-back Hail Marys, but they did because Justin Herbert just makes crazy throws like that. The first one got called back on um, an, an offensive pass interference, but then he hit on another one. So they have no timeouts left. They're inside of 30 seconds. They called a run. With Austin Eckler up the middle. It's, it's like, what? Like, you don't have any timeouts. You can't stop the clock. You're calling a run with Austin Eckler? What? Like, it's just the the horrible mismanagement in this game of clock, of personnel, of communication, of play calls, of everything. Like, how how do Chargers fans deal with this? I, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's, I mean, the Chargers, uh, we talked about two teams in the beginning of the season, really, uh, it's its not even fair to say not earning victories, really, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And it was the Falcons, and they did it on a historic level in three games early in the season. And then the Chargers kind of did it on a quieter level, but more consistently. We talked about them too, that, ah, oh, there's a game they could have won, and ah, oh, they were close, but they didn't get this, and you know, and, you know, people say things like Chargers are going to Charger and, oh, you know, hey, it's it's just L.A. or they used to say it's just San Diego. Like, you know, they've come to expect it. It's kind of like the the Cubs fans before they won the World Series. Right. Anything would go wrong with the Cubs. And they're like, oh, here we go again. Right. And I feel like uh, I have one Chargers fan that I work with and he's very much like that. He's been a Chargers fan for 20 years. And, you know, he's. <laughs> This is what he knows, right? This is all he's ever known. And uh, it's it's sort of fade to complete. Like, this is going to happen. Yep, this is the big deal. Uh, nope, it always happens to us. I mean, they feel very much like Eeyore to me at this point. And I would really like to see them <laughs> not be that way. Like, it's going to rain again. Like, they have Herbert now. Like, Herbert is a bolt out of the blue. And yes, bolt, I realize, Chargers, yeah, sure. Um, but... You know, look, it's fourth and 27 on that second Hail Mary. He escapes a sack. Like, he's in the grasp. He spins away. Big, tall, athletic guy runs to the edge and then launches one as only he can. It's caught at the one yard. Like, like that gives you every opportunity to score points if you're gonna. 
But when you have all these other things, it's not that they don't have talent. It's not that they don't have, you know, a real advantage now in Herbert. It's that you got to do the little things well to win games, and the Chargers don't. I mean, it's Bill Belichick, if he had this roster, would be like 9-2 and two right now. Like, yeah, it's, I'm not arguing. It's, in, it's incredible how much their coaching staff is holding them back. Uh, it's it's unlike any other situation in the league. Like it almost supersedes the the Jets to me because the Jets obviously are also lacking in talent. Like it's not just a coaching issue. They're very, very thin. The Chargers are freaking loaded, but they're still yeah, awful. They have talent all over the field. They've drafted very well. They've developed pretty well. Uh and you're right, with a small change in consistency or what you would probably you and I would probably term professionalism from the coaching ranks, the results could be very different. Whereas with the Jets, they'd be a little bit different. Like the Jets would have picked up uh, one or two more wins, maybe. Uh, whereas the Chargers would have picked up like four or five. Yeah, I just, ugh, I, I just, I can't oh, handle well. it. On to Titans Colts. So uh, look, there's this guy named Derrick Henry, and um, he's a uh, big and fast and stuff. And and Tennessee leans on him a lot. None of that is news. Um, what is news is they also have this other big and fast guy that played with some other big and fast guy in college. So uh, AJ Brown, yeah, he played with some Metcalf guy. He's also big and fast, and he's also really important to Tennessee. Um, he's gone off more and more as the season's gone on. And you know, last year he had the or last week he had the quote unquote grown man touchdown where he bucked off like three or four guys and scored. Um, Little cross in this one. We talked about crossing routes and goes off to score from downtown. 69-yard touchdown because not only is he big and strong, but he's also really fast. And it got me to thinking the way we talked about Kenny Galladay as the alpha that really drove the Lions offense, the player that was out there that made them look very different and much more effective. I'm starting to think of A.J. Brown in that role uh, for Tennessee, he he's not quite there yet. Where Galladay is is clearly sort of the MVP of that offense. If he's there, they do well. If he's not, they don't. Um, the the Titans have a little bit more multiplicity than that. Uh, but when Brown is there, it is a very different uh, Ryan Tannehill on the Titans offense. He showed that again this week. Uh, but Henry, boy, whew, uh, we had said earlier on this podcast in the year that the the key for Derrick Henry is just turning him, right? If you can turn him and get him to go lateral, you're going to win. Um, I think he might've heard that because he's winning when he goes lateral. Now he went lateral several times in this game and ended up getting big runs as well. Not just getting sort of snuffed out to the sideline. Now that's a little bit about defensive consistency from the Colts. And we talked about that a little bit at the top of the show, uh, recapping the Packers game from the previous week. But, um, he had a just a massive game. Like they call him King Henry, and th- there's a reason he he pretty much took over in this one. Yeah, my my main takeaway from it is again, I, I kind of addressed it at the top of the show. No DeForest Buckner, no Okariki, no Ryan Kelly. I mean, th- this this defense. If if this game didn't show the value of Buckner and Okariki, I don't know what will because they are massive, massive difference makers. Um, and, and it wasn't just them, uh, too. They also were missing, um, God, who's the who's the guy who absolutely beat the tar out of Jonah Jackson? 
not too long ago. He was on the he was on the COVID list as well. But like they were down both starting defensive ends. I think their only starting defensive lineman that was playing was Grover Stewart, who as good a nose tackle as he is, he can't do everything by himself. And Okariki's been a really, really damn good linebacker for them too. And you're missing Buckner, who's one of the best three techniques in the entire league that can also flex out and play five or six for them. He does everything. So it's 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 hard enough to stop this full-strength Titans offense when you have all your best players, but when you don't have all your best players, you got no shot. So I think the Colts are a better team than people think think they are um the problem is they just don't have a super inspiring or consistent offense because well it's philip rivers like that's just that is what he is at this point and their defense at various parts of the year has been banged up you know leonard's missed games now buckner's missed games like when they're a full strength defense they are elite but we just haven't seen them be full strength for more than like four or five games this year as we get into December and guys come off the COVID list and guys get healthier, maybe we'll see them make a run in January because I absolutely think they are fully capable of it. And uh, now that Hilton's healthy and Pittman's healthy and like they're getting some weapons back on offense too, like I don't think we've seen the peak for this Colts team yet. The hard part for them is just they got to win enough games to get into the postseason first so that we can actually see them at their peak. Yeah, and my only worry about that is uh, exactly what you said about getting some weapons back and that being the sort of upward trend on the graph. And at what point does it cross with Rivers diminishing returns as the descending line on the graph, right? When is that When yeah. is that little crux? Because through a lot of this game, uh, Rivers is just struggling to get the ball deep. He looks shot physically, but he kind of reminds me of a fuse on a firecracker that has like the caked on gunpowder and it makes those little flares as it goes. So a lot of this game was sort of slow burn and he looks like he's shot putting the ball. He's, he's sort of twisting his entire body to push that ball out there. He's still getting it there with accuracy, but it's very late career Peyton Manning. Um, And then all of a sudden in the fourth, he unloads to Hilton and it looks like young rivers, right? You hit one of those little blurbs of gunpowder on the fuse and there's this huge flash and you're like, that's what it used to look like. And then he goes yeah, right back right. to sort of being unable to to make uh, even decent medium throws. But um, look good in the end at this game. Uh, flipped one to Hilton, who makes a brilliant catch in the corner of the TD uh, in the corner of the end zone for a TD late. Um, but I thought the way the Titans sealed it was something I haven't seen in a while. AJ Brown on the hands team snags the onside kick and just keeps motoring and scores like. Nobody touches him. He grabs it off the bounce, and he's just gone. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's one way yeah. to seal it. Yeah, um, but an interesting game on both sides and, and two interesting teams as we get to the playoffs. Titans definitely rolling a little bit more than the Colts. But the Colts, again, like you said, if everybody gets back and they start firing on all cylinders at the right time, if they can squeeze in there, um, are going to be a tough out, especially if that defense is back to full strength because it's good when everybody's there. It's it's great, actually, when everybody's there. It's like a top five defense. Yeah, 100%. Uh, speaking of top five defenses, well, the Falcons are not a top five defense, (laughs) but they're definitely not a bottom three defense like they were anymore. Uh, That change is, that's my major takeaway from Raiders Falcons. And the reason we want to talk about this game at all is again, early in the year, they historically pitched some games away and it was largely on the defense. Like they could not hold the lead late and they ended up losing some again, the Falcons famous for losing fairly decent leads late, but uh, 
that is not the case anymore. They've had a month now under their interim coach, and they look like a very different unit defensively. And in come the Raiders, who are playing at a high level, um, clicking on, I don't want to say all cylinders, but definitely most cylinders on offense. And we get one of those games that's just a, this is why they play them on Sunday kind of games. Atlanta stomps them 43 to six, right? If you'd told anybody that the Raiders offense, you know, the juggernaut that took Kansas city blow for blow really recently, right down to the wire was going to score six points against the Falcons. I think you would have had a lot of easy money rolling in that said, no, no, you're wrong. I'll take that bet. But that's the way it ended up. Falcons relied on Young Way Koo, 7 of 7 for field goals in this game. We don't talk about kickers a lot, but listen up. If they go 7 for 7, we sure do. Um, and the Atlanta defense was really a difference in this game. Big pressure on Carr, forced him into mistakes, sacks, fumbles, uh, interceptions, um, just a completely different looking defense that are fired up, playing hard, and most importantly, playing together, getting contributions from guys like Jacob Tuyati Mariner, who had a huge sack fumble and fumble recovery, which ends up being one of our bootleg shot of the week nominees um, on car, just blasted him, drilled the ball loose and jumped on top of it and tried to get up and run it. Um, not a household name necessarily, uh, but big, big play in this one and just sort of emblematic of the change in the Falcons defense. Yeah, I think I think one of my favorite notes from this Falcons defense, it was that uh, Stephen Means sack in like the fourth quarter or something like that. I think the yep. game was 12, 15, well fourth hand, quarter. But yeah, when you look at the lane discipline in that sack, though, they were running something, uh, it's called a gate stunt which is when you get two defensive tackles, it can either be both of them at, at three techniques or like a, a two or a four, however you want to do it. Um, but a gate stunt is, it looks a lot like a twist, but how it is both defensive tackles are both reading the center at the same time. Uh, and whichever one the center is going to double team, which in this case it was Grady Jarrett, that guy then becomes the looper. And if the center's looking away from you, then you're supposed to attack him because he can't see you. So you kind of plunge right into the side of that center and then ricochet into the backfield while the other guy loops over. So it's a gate stunt, and whoever the looper is, it's kind of determined by where the center's looking. Um, And so they run that, and Grady kind of loops around, and then the nose ricochets off, and he kind of forces... Uh, Derek Carr to step up. You have uh, a wrapper around the back from the left left defensive end just in case Carr retreats. And then you have Means, who's using a bull rush to kind of collapse the pocket in from his side. You know, he's not taking like a traditional speed rush angle. He's collapsing inward because he knows the wrapper's already taking the outside lane. He knows the gate stunt is going to have interior pressure. And so he's the guy that's just kind of supposed to clean it up, which he does, and he forces the fumble. So just kind of that that lane discipline from all four guys, they were not giving any escape uh, angles for Carr. They all did their jobs. They all rushed with a purpose. And even though Grady Jarrett's kind of the only guy on that defensive line in that particular rep that people have even heard of, the fact that they rushed together as a team, as a four-man unit, it just kind of showed the development and growth of this defense that was not doing that early in the year. Yeah, I totally agree. And and they're playing, you know, the back end of that defense is reaping what the front end is sowing. 
And, uh, you know, we saw plays by Dante Fowler in coverage, right? So there's rush, there's coverage, um, there's big hits from safeties we didn't see. We saw sort of blown assignments and people running free in the secondary early in the year. None of that now. Um, everybody running to the ball, a lot more discipline in lanes, not only up front, but in the back as well. And it showed the Raiders' high-powered offense run tons of weapons. They've got Ruggs and Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller and, you know, Carr we talked about. We talked him up last week as playing at an incredibly high level, his best since 2016 and probably even better than that. And they come out with two field goals against a team that was really in the dumps defensively early in the year. That's that's the story in this one. It wasn't so much a it was a laugh or score wise, but uh, that's a that's a big thing for a team like Atlanta going down the stretch. It doesn't mean they're going to make any noise, but uh, they've made a significant shift uh, with the coaching change. What it is is it's a it's a good audition for Raheem Morris. Totally agree. For and throwing, they, for throwing you know, his hat in the ring. Arthur Blank has said that you know. His he kind of gave him a lukewarm endorsement, like, yeah, if he wins out, I'll consider it. I was like, oh, really? You'll consider it if the guy wins out with this team that's been <laughs> wildly underperforming? Wow, don't don't put yourself out there. Um, but one other note th- that I wanted to ask you about, because A, you know I love running backs, and B, I didn't know you're great on this guy coming out. What did you think of Ito Smith when he was coming out? Uh, fast as shit. And I, I didn't have a whole lot else. I only watched like a couple games of his, so I didn't really have a complete uh, notes on him as a prospect. But like as a pro, like as a rotational back, because he's been in Atlanta for a while, um, as a pro, I've always thought he's a good complimentary back. Maybe not like a, ever going to be like a, a mainstay, you know, a 15 to 18 touch a game kind of guy. But you give him seven or eight touches and I really like his burst. I think he could do something with it. Yeah, I was I was a big Edo Smith fan just for that kind of role, complimentary second, third back on the roster, and he had a couple of really nice runs and a touchdown in this one. And um, the thing I loved was how the rest of the offense rallied around him in the end zone when he scored. Uh, they very much seemed like they were supporting a guy that they thought had earned it. Um, so big ups to Edo Smith. Quick mention uh, on the pod. Great little player. Uh, Saints Broncos. Yeah, interesting, interesting game all the way around. This one took place in Denver. Uh, the team that had no quarterback. Uh, Denver's quarterbacks famously all were in close contact uh, with a COVID case, therefore were not able to play in this game. They end up uh, trying to recruit a couple of their assistant coaches who played quarterback in like Division Two. Uh, the NFL says, no, you can't do that. You can't turn coaches into players. Uh, so they go to Kendall Hinton, who played some quarterback, well, played quarterback in high school and then played some quarterback uh, in college as well, um, with fairly disastrous results. Uh, the Denver Broncos did not have a good day on offense. Not a surprise to anybody that followed this. Played a bunch of Wildcat with Philip Lindsay. You know, Royce Freeman uh, had volunteered to play a little quarterback. He'd, he'd thrown the ball a little bit at Oregon. Uh, it, it played out about how you think an NFL player or an NFL team would play without a quarterback. Saints, uh, not a ton of storylines. Taysom Hill kind of came back to earth in this one, was not near as effective throwing as he was the week before in his uh, somewhat surprising uh, large playtime debut, uh, but was very effective running the ball, uh, which is not surprising. They were missing a couple of players. The Saints were on the left-hand side of their line, so they ran to the right almost all day. Both of Taysom Hill's scores uh, 
on Powers down to the goal line came running behind that right-hand side. And he looks very good doing that. Like he's kind of a running back in quarterback's clothing, um, but didn't have a great game uh, throwing the ball. It was okay. Did throw a decent one to Adam Troutman, guy that we really liked that we got to know at the Senior Bowl. And Latavius Murray had uh, a really good day, picked up a couple of touchdowns as well. It was more than enough for the Saints to come away with the win on the road against the Broncos. Anything that stood out to you? I just, I got to give major props to Kendall Hilton for going into an impossible situation and uh, and still stepping on that field and, and playing his heart out. I it's it's a position that he never thought he was going to play again. You know he played at Wake as a quarterback, but he was trying to make it in the NFL as a wide receiver. He was in a sales job a month ago, and then he got signed to the practice squad. So he's like, I'm going to go chase my dream. I'm going to switch positions and be a receiver and try to make it that way. And all of a sudden, in the span of a day he becomes the starting Broncos quarterback in an offense he barely knows in a position he hasn't practiced in a year. So I just, it's a, it's a truly impossible situation. And the fact that he completed a pass, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast. Hell, I would even admit myself, you put me on an NFL field, there's no fucking way I'm completing a pass. I would get (laughs) murdered out there. Yeah, it's absolutely true. We've seen a lot of that take this week as well. Like, a, anybody sitting on the couch at home thinks, I could step in and complete an NFL pass. The answer is probably not. Uh, most no, likely <laughs> not, right? You're going to get smashed. Um, and Hinton, you know, he played his guts out. He tried. Um, and, you know, he had some decent runs. Uh, there were some pops out of the Wildcat. Philip Lindsay had a nice gain around the left-hand side uh, early in the game. Uh, Royce Freeman a little bit later. Um yeah, it, it it wasn't pretty, and we knew, we talked about this earlier uh, before the season started, that this was a possible impact, and at some point, like, a whole position group was going to get wiped out. We actually talked about this on this podcast twice before the season started and said, at some point, this is going to happen. Sure enough, uh, it happened. We've seen um, some other teams dodge pretty major bullets with, uh, like, four-fifths of their offensive line going on, you know, COVID close contact watch. Uh, being able to return before the game so they didn't have to but Chicago had a game a couple weeks ago where they were playing basically four replacement offensive line players and and that had a predictable result as well so we knew this was going to be part of this season it happened to the Broncos Hinton you know played his guts out Saints took advantage for a win shout out to Brandon McManus career-long 58-yarder not terribly surprising I guess for a guy that kicks in Denver for a living um in uh the (laughs) less dense atmosphere but nice kick outside 58 yarder um and then cam jordan picked up a sack you know not the most coordinated offensive attack but that's four in two weeks for him so we talked about interceptions coming in bunches earlier in the podcast sacks are kind of the same way guys will work and work and work and get close and have no results and then pick up you know two in a game or three in two weeks uh Cam Jordan, don't look now, but had a pretty quiet first half of the season, and now he's got four sacks in the last two weeks. Yeah, and and the Saints were one of those teams that um, they they didn't really emphasize uh, guys getting together and doing like group workouts in the off season. Like there were some teams that 
uh, quietly or in some cases not so quietly like encourage guys to like go to these group workouts and like stay in shape and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Sean Payton was very adamant of like, no, you guys stay home. You lock yourselves in your garages and you, you know, you lift weights and you get to camp and we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Um, so when they, when they showed up to camp, there were some reports that a lot of guys were kind of out of shape because, the team was operating out of an abundance of caution over the offseason and, and telling them, like, don't go to a park, don't go to, you know, do all this this group stuff that we've seen some other teams do, just stay home, be safe. Um, so it's it's kind of taken particularly some of their older players maybe a little while to get back into game shape uh, without true offseason activities. But Cam Jordan, like, he's, he's quote-unquote in shape. Like he, I'm not saying he was out of shape to start the season, but he, he wasn't quite the same guy for the first couple months and now we're seeing the old Cam Jordan where it's like, oh okay, he's gonna he's gonna show up every Sunday and absolutely kick the shit out of you because he's an elite pass rusher that's probably gonna go to the Hall of Fame. Like now he's back to being that dude. And uh there are some teams like the Saints that I think are just gonna keep picking up steam as the season goes on because they're they're finally back. You know, they're finally ready. They're finally uh, other than Drew Brees, like they're at full strength, they're healthy, they're in shape, and obviously, you know, they have one of the best coaching staff in the league too. Like the Saints are a very, 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 very dangerous team, and once Drew gets back, uh, there's I could probably count on one hand the amount of teams that I might possibly pick over them. It's it's a very short list. Yeah, their ability. You talked about their coaching staff being elite, and I have to agree not only from a player development standpoint, but also from a flexibility standpoint. Having watched every Saints game this year, they have flexed in an almost Patriots-like way given who they did or did not have on the field, right? Early in the season, Mm -hmm. we saw Alvin Kamara absolutely being the centerpiece and just driving this team, really hauling them on his back um, when Breeze was looking a little shaky for the first couple of games. Michael Thomas was not in the lineup, which is sort of their safety and security blanket. It was the Alvin Kamara show and he delivered and if you've noticed over the past few weeks he's still had his nice little pop runs but it has not been all about him with Michael Thomas coming back in a lineup they're easing into him they shifted from Breeze to Taysom Hill uh you know they're doing what they need to with the personnel they have each week to win and that to me is very um you know the Saints standing in front of the mirror and the Patriots standing behind it, right? It's it's that kind of adjustment on a week to week basis. They're doing what they can with what they have, and they're they're winning. That's why Sean Payton's the first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, you you give him lemons, he'll make lemonade every single time. Yeah, they're doing it. He he showed everybody last week when everybody look. I would say it was running probably eighty percent negative to the Taysom Hill getting a start. Uh, and Taysom Hill comes out and plays a very professional football game, right? Uh, completes a lot of long passes, drives the Saints to win. So, um, yeah, Sean Payton, he he's he's no dummy. This is not his first rodeo by any stretch. So that takes us down to the bootleg shot of the week summary from this week. Uh, number one is Jalen Johnson just crushing Alan Lazard on the crosser. Uh, we will link clips of these hits um, uh, on YouTube uh boy jalen johnson perfect like tony dungy even calls it out afterwards as the commentator says this is textbook this is the way you do it you lower you lead with the shoulder not with your head hits lazard in the midsection he kept running on the crosser versus zone johnson was waiting for him and johnson just puts his shoulder into him and it's a it's a good clean hit 
Lazard does go down. He did come back later in the game. No flag on the hit. Um, it is a massive blast. He he levels Alan Lazard. Yeah, that's why you sit routes down versus zone, <laughs> so that doesn't happen. So hang corners. Yeah, I don't know if Lazard's going to make that mistake again. And <laughs> if he does, I'm, I don't know if he's going to be able to make it a time after that because he got he got smashed. I would not be surprised if if he ended up with some some tweaked rib cartilage or something. He he got rocked. Yeah. Um, good clean hit, but man, did he pay for for keeping running through his own. Yeah. Um, the second one was uh, Jacob uh, Tuyati Mariner for Atlanta. The huge sack fumble and fumble recovery on uh, Derek Carr. Uh, just a huge, huge play uh, that he made all of those things happen. The sack, the fumble, and the recovery. Even got up to try and run it. Um, makes it onto the bootleg shot of the week nominee list. Um, the next one is funny. This is a two-headed monster. We're going to put this one on here. Um, again, not a game we talked about, not a particularly fun game to watch, but uh, stood out to me that on back-to-back special teams plays, um, the coverage team, one guy from each team, made a big hit. So Cody Barton, who is becoming a little bit of a quiet special teams ace for the Seahawks, a uh, reserve linebacker for them, uh, let off with a big hit, and then on the on the following punt, Davion Taylor, really fast uh, little linebacker out of Colorado, um, comes down and lays a, a good clean lick for Philadelphia. So we rolled them in as a two-for-one deal. It's Cody Barton and Davion Taylor. Um, you don't have to vote for one or the other. You're actually voting for both. But I thought it was really funny that on back-to-back special teams plays, both guys just lit up the ball carrier. Yeah, Taylor, if I remember correctly, he was – like 220 pounds soaking wet soaking wet and they called him a linebacker probably about 216 but (laughs) dead fast i was like that's a safety (laughs) like i don't care what you yeah like that's a safety like that dude's not a linebacker but like you said he's fast as hell and uh force equals mass times acceleration and when 216 pounds is moving that fast it hurts it hurts quite a bit yeah, and he's put on a little weight, and when we said that this was really his path to playing time when he got drafted, he got drafted a little bit higher than I thought he would have. Um, I certainly wouldn't have picked him that high. I would have waited a round or two, and, and again, when you're picking guys later in the fifth or sixth, again, for guys that have one good trump card, and his is speed. Very competitive guy as well. He's a good football player. He's not just fast, um, but very little and has some uh, limitations in coverage, but we said, look, his path to playing time is going to be being a special teams hitter and growing into a situational role on defense, and then maybe he could grow into a, a more full-time on role, uh, defense later on down the line. But, um, yeah, so Cody Barton and Davion Taylor are number three, and then Aaron Donald rounds it out with his strip uh, on the running back on the TFL. Not necessarily a huge hit, but a huge play and happened again so quickly. And this really just is a nod to the coordination and the speed and the sort of technical difficulty of that rush just melding together into what only Aaron Donald can deliver on the football field right now yeah he's he's a one of one (laughs) he's a one of yes I would agree if anybody tells you somebody in this draft is just like Aaron Donald they're lying (laughs) yes look look askance at their draft takes because it's it's probably not true it's that's hyperbole nobody 
I, I don't think, again, not having watched all the tape yet myself on the defensive players, I don't think so. But I would be extremely leery of that description, and you should be as well, because Aaron Donald is, uh, yeah, I would say 101 is a good description right now. The the only defensive tackle prospect, the only one that's been close, is Quentin Williams, who's playing very, very, very well this year. He gets double-teamed like crazy, but... Uh, He's the only one. And now that he has a, a healthy ankle, he's playing all of last year on a high ankle sprain, so he didn't do much. But now that he's healthy this year, I mean, he's been damn near unblockable. And again, even for somebody who is as great a prospect as he is and as great a player as he is, he's got one of the highest pressure rates for interior defensive linemen in the entire league. He's still not close to Aaron right now. Yeah, that, no. that's He's on his own planet. Yep. Cool. Well, you've got your film room coming up. You said early next week on Justin Jefferson. Uh, I am continuing to churn out bears over beers. We're really starting to focus on what the bears are gonna, gonna do or should do, um, with their current situation, which is, is not pretty. Uh, if you're a bears fan, you're starting to realize that the future may be dark for a little while based on salary cap and changes that are likely coming. But, uh, we'll be talking about that over the next few weeks. Um, other than that, we will be back next week with bootleg football. Again, going to start shaving down the game reviews a little bit, shifting into draft prospect mode, starting to get ready for the senior bowl. Uh, Jim Nagy and his staff have been rolling out those invites. Um, damn near a hundred players accepted so far. So, um, we're really going to get into that. That's when we really kicked this whole thing off last year, um, and had a lot of good time. We've got some interesting coverage plans for that. So stay tuned. Um, And until then, just keep watching, keep listening, and thanks for tuning in. We could not do it without you. Um, Tell all your friends that like football down the stretch to subscribe to the podcast. It'll help us do more things in the future. Uh, And until then, uh, we're glad that you don't like short because I don't think we're physically capable of it. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're we're a two-hour podcast now. It is what it is, but... Whatever. You guys like that. So, again, thank you guys for listening and sticking with us. We'll be back next week to talk about Week 13 and probably also part of Week 12 for the Steelers game if it ever gets played. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys then. Later. Later.